Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. At a time when eating healthy seems to get more and more complicated and expensive, dairy remains simple and affordable powerful source of micronutrients, high-quality amino acids and calcium that are all essential for healthy muscles and bones, dairy really should be enjoyed as part of a varied and balanced diet. Lovingly made with all the goodness of organic British milk, Yo Valley Kefir is a creamy, tangy, organic yogurt packed with billions of live bacteria from 14 different culture strains for maximum gut flora diversity. Available in natural, mango and passion fruit, blueberry and strawberry flavours, the daily boost you deserve is in the yoghurt aisle at all the major supermarkets. To find out more, head over to yovalley.co.uk. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. When thinking about the future of how and what we eat, many assume that meat and dairy would be eaten in much lower quantities than what they are now. And it's probably safe to assume that the diverse range of foods we have access to would become even more expensive. But... With so much emerging research, technology and innovation surrounding food production and nutrition, have you ever considered that the future of food could evolve into something not dissimilar to a scene from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? And knowing that we are all completely unique, will we ever get to a point where our perfectly fine-tuned diets really are as unique as our personalities? While much of what we hear about the future is all doom and gloom, I'm here with doctor, author and BBC radio host Stuart Faramond, who will talk to us about his exciting view of the future of food. Hello, Stuart. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, absolute pleasure. I know how precious your time is. I thought I would start today's topic with um, the fact that already gaining some traction in the market is an area called nutrigenomics, which... To what extent, and first of all, what is, it, what is it, and to what extent do you think this concept will govern how we eat in the future? Well, I think you and I know that one person can have like a glass of milk and be absolutely fine with it, and another person can have it and they'll be all bloated. Mm-hmm. And that's because all of us, we're all individual and unique, and genetically, we're all different. Yeah. And so nutrigenomics is all about looking at nutrition from a genetic point of view. Mm. 
exactly, exactly. And do you think that's something that will govern the future of our food? I think I was at a um, I was at a, a thought leaders conference a few weeks back, and we were looking at the way in which food was going across Europe and how to kind of educate people better in terms of good nutrition. And this was kind of all the rage talking about. Um, genetic testing and also mm. looking at your microbiome, mm. uh, the bugs that are in your gut, in terms yeah. of tailoring nutrition for individual people. And so very much that is definitely the way that I think nutrition is going to be going. Oh gosh, that's so exciting for me, especially in my field of work as a nutritionist. One day that's something to look forward to. I mean, how much do you think we currently know about the impact of our genes and how we respond to foods differently as individuals? Honestly, I think it's not as much as we'd like to think. Mm. Um, a lot of this was based off a 2015 study yeah. uh, in Israel where they, they looked at 800 people okay. that analysed their weight, their size, their lifestyle, uh, did lots of blood tests on them, took samples of their poo to see what yeah. gut, what, what microbes were in their gut, yeah. put all that into a big computer and then fed them different foods and watched what happened to their blood glucose after they'd had a meal. Mm. And the interesting thing was that they found that some people responded quite differently to the same foods. So you might have an ice cream and your blood sugar might shoot up mm. and somebody else, I might have an ice cream and my blood sugar might not change at all. Amazing. And so they pumped it into this um, algorithm and then... From that, yeah. they realised that they could, they could predict what would happen to a given person based on their genetic and their, wow. and their gut bacteria, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. They pump all the numbers in. You can see how food will react in that person you can predict. And they, from that, they reasoned that we can put together nutritional guidelines per individual people. It does make a lot of sense if you think about it. I mean, like you said, when people can eat the same foods that on paper would have a fast reaction on your blood sugar levels or affect you in a certain way, but for some people they're totally fine and for others they can't. Um, it's a very interesting subject, but only 800 people, as you say. We need a lot more research there. Well, if you look, um, there has been some research published earlier this year. There's been a 25-year project where they've been looking at twins and regular members of the public. This is in a UK data set. And from that, they found some really interesting findings. It's been done by um, an organisation called ZOE. I'm not sure if ZOE stands for something, but if you want to find out, you can go to joinzoe.com. Mm. And then you can actually enrol because they're looking for people, yeah. uh, a thousand people to enrol on a sort of a, a try and eat stuff and see what happens to Fair. you. And we monitor you. Um, so that, that was a 25-year project. And they found that even identical twins, yeah. when they have the same food, they might respond differently. Mm. Uh, quite why that is, because if you're identical twins, your genes are exactly the same. So there must be something else. Maybe it's your gut microbes. Maybe mm. it's maybe it's something to do with your lifestyle. I mean, we really don't know. We kind of we are clutching at straws at this point. Well, there's so many factors out there, and I think one of the reasons why I really wanted to speak to you today as well is that there are so many products on the market, and they've got these big claims that they can tell us exactly how we should eat based on our DNA. But should we feel confident in these yet? I. I tell you what, I went to this European think tank, think tank conference a little while mm. back and the company's there and they were talking about, it's like the Fitbit of, yeah. um, of nutrition. It's yeah. customised to you and it will tell you what you should eat and it'll give you point scores for the different things that you're going to eat and you can record them all, you can set yourself targets and this is customised, personalised to you. And I sat there thinking, well actually, that's cool, that's a really impressive piece of technology but do I want to live my life by a smartphone app it's, and, I'm, and I'm logging and recording everything and for me I think that's just a recipe for obsession so yeah. 
And I would urge a lot of caution because they will take your data, they'll take your DNA and your poo sample and yeah. they'll analyse it and they'll store it on a big database and you've got to be careful what they do with it. And you also don't know how they're using, how they come to the conclusions that they come to because it's all kind of corporate secrets, how the algorithms work and how much do they really know to be able to draw concrete conclusions. And I suspect actually that the, that the conclusions that they come to aren't as concrete as they might like you to believe. No, I thank you for saying that. And also, I might just throw in there that it's probably really expensive as well. Yes, they tried yeah. to give... I had a free sample pack, <laughs> Ooh, nice. um, which um, I think I had to send off a saliva sample. Mm. And I, I installed the app and started going, and I just thought, crikey, this isn't much fun. So... so um, <laughs> There's only uh, so much you can there get. There is only from it. so much, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's the way it's heading, and but I think it's like all technology, it's down to us as to what we want to do, how we want to use it. A hundred percent. I think it's just so important as well to consider the way that, you know, information is delivered to people using these products because surely something as impactful as you know, saying, Oh, you have an intolerance to this product on you know, on one sheet of A4 paper. How does that affect people when they see that information? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I liken it a lot to the whole genetics, home, home genetic testing. You can now okay. send off a, a DNA sample and they will tell you what your risk factors are for breast cancer, dementia, diabetes, blah, 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 blah. They the don't sun. tell you what those risks are necessarily. They don't tell you what to do with that information. So you find out what I'm at increase, increased risk of testicular cancer. What on earth do I do with that information? Mm. Um, and so I think, again, we've got this thing of where do the ethics lie in with sending off all this information and what do we do with it at the other end? And I think ethics is something a lot of people do not take into consideration. Well, it's not on their horizon, let's say, because mm. as a health professional, you have a responsibility, of course, to consider ethics. But it must be, I mean, I hear messages a lot of the time on my social media platforms from people saying, oh, why can't I just buy this kit? Why are you not recommending this? And I'm like, well, mm. it's really not that simple. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, do you think we're going to see this technology and research adopted in the NHS one day? Probably, probably. Mm. Um, I think, and people like the whole personalization thing. People mm. like having, you know, we like having the Fitbits and we like having this thing that's personalized to us. And increasingly, medicine is going to get more and more personalized because, mm. in the same way that food, medicines react to people's body differently. Not everybody will have the same side effects from a, from a, from a drug, for example. Yeah. You know, you might find ibuprofen is really good. Somebody else might find it does absolutely nothing at all. And so, increasingly, it's going to be personalized. Medicine will be picked mm. and tailored towards you. I mean, we're still at the very early days but that's where where it's headed and yeah. I think that yes the NHS will adopt this personalised approach and I think on a basic level it's really important you can't just take out of your recipe book give to somebody okay eat that you'll be no. healthy it's yeah. much it's much more important that you take on board um, their lifestyle who they are you know what and as much as we can use the data that we have to personalize it to people of course i i could not agree more i mean you've got someone's sleep regime you know not just what they eat and their activities, their cultural um, aspects, happiness even. We had a podcast on happiness recently, which is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. You know, Small things that really do enhance our health that I don't think we consider a lot of the time. So as well as our DNA, hmm. we also know, and we've discussed, we've touched on the microbiome here and hmm. the internal physiologies that play a role in how we respond to certain foods. So hmm. what do we know so far? Okay, 
The microbiome, which is the posh word for the bacteria that live on us and in us. Yeah. In your gut, in your colon, your large bowel, there are more bugs in there than there are human cells in your body. Amazing. There are trillions and trillions of these bugs in there. And I'm sure you, you know this. Well, apparently two that, kilos of what we weigh is the bacteria. Wowzers. Ooh. You can lose weight quite easily then by <laughs> jettisoning those bugs. <laughs> And they essentially eat everything that we don't digest. I'm sure you've kind of spoken about this lots of times before. Um, But everybody's microbiome is a little bit different. Mm. And interestingly, people who are overweight and obese have a different microbiome. They have different bugs in their gut to people who are slim, which has lead people to postulate, is it because people are overweight because they have fat bugs, if you like, in their in their guts, do they have more? They have bacteria in there that chew up food um, mm. and yield energy to you more, more, more freely yeah. than, say, a thin person. Um, and so we can look at, and it seems to be that the microbiome is really important for overall health. Yeah. There is this interaction between the bugs in our gut mm. and our immune system. Or is it the chicken and the egg? Where exactly. The fact is, is it the chicken and the egg? <laughs> is, does, the, does eating junk food change your microbiome? Yes, it does. Yeah. Um, so it is that cause and effect. Um, how so, do yes. you study that? That is tricky. How do you study it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> so, um, yes, that again, like the genetics, we can use the, um, we're going to increasingly be using our microbiome. And it is, as I say, it's a really hot topic in terms yeah. of research. And in terms of, believe it or not, in terms of forensics. So there's so many bugs on us mm. that uh, there's been some studies that have shown that you can tell when somebody has walked through a room by sampling the bugs in that room. And you can even get a timeline of how long ago this person was in the room. In the future, like in a 50, 100 years time, they'll be able to go to a crime scene and get your bacterial fingerprint and know when you were in that room. Uh, based on the bacteria it's incredible that we are just scratching the surface there are so many bugs out there that we don't even know about my mind is absolutely blown i mean the thought of being able to solve crimes from our actual microbiome is is just Mm, it's incredible yeah and so there is a lot of health to be gained by keeping a healthy gut yes and as you probably know is that when you have a very poorly gut bacteria there's increasing um research and being used as a treatment of a rather lovely fecal transplant yes. which is putting um, somebody's healthy poo into your colon to repopulate it with healthy gut bacteria yeah i know which may sound like you're kind of um it's a bit squirmish you know oh. but actually it, it saves lives it's saving lives it does yeah. when you've got an antibiotic yeah. associated um diarrhea when you've had been in hospital traditionally and you've had mm. lots of antibiotics, mm. you've essentially, unfortunately, killed all the bugs, all the mm. healthy bugs in your in your in your gut, in your colon, and that gives a space for the unhealthy bugs to essentially to proliferate and grow back, and you can end up with a nasty diarrhea called C. diff, Clostridium yeah. difficile diarrhea, mm. um, and one way to treat that is to put some healthy poo back in there to give yeah. the good bugs a foothold to repopulate your gut. Oh, uh, and bring so back bring sense. back gut health to yeah. you. So yes, gut health is just essential. I think um, we were speaking before on one episode about um, the fact that we are at a kind of fearful time where there's antibiotic resistance mm. as well. Mm. Um, we spoke with Dr. Tim Spector about um, flourishing the garden. He calls it the gut. So you know, put okay. as much variety as yeah, you can yeah. in yeah. to help it flourish. And if we move away from personalization now, we Mm. know that by 2050, so 2050, the population is predicted to reach an incredible, here we go, 9.8 billion. 
I mean, it gets I... beyond a point where you just think <laughs> the number just becomes meaningless. I can't even think of a million people, let alone a billion people. A 9.8. I mean, how well equipped do you think we are to be able to feed this many people, Stuart? Uh, we're going to struggle, aren't we? Mm. But then I would say is that every time we have predicted that we're going to outgrow the planet, we've had technology that's come along and saved us. So we had fertilizers that allowed that we could increase the yield um, of our crops so mm. that we could feed um, the rapidly expanding populations. And so I hope that we can do something to be able to use our resources yeah. more sustainably and more and more efficiently so that we can actually feed people. Because I think that we probably can, if we a bit like climate change, we probably could do it if we actually all cooperated and put our energies into it. Well, that's a whole different subject, isn't it? I could go off on that one, the cooperation side of things. And I actually read a fascinating article you wrote um, where you explained how we haven't, we've altered food over the years, like mm. you just said about fertilisers, but through selective breeding to create produce that's kind of inherently different to how it started. So yeah. could you share some examples? Yeah, so I mean, one thing that really bothers me is about um, chickens and turkeys. So Christmas time, when you've got that great big plump turkey, mm. that was once in the wild a scrawny little bird that was in the kind of jungle regions. And so over selective breeding over time, we've bred these birds to be bigger and bigger and plumper and plumper to the point that they're out of proportion and they can barely lift up, carry their own weights. Um, since 1960, the size of turkeys has doubled. So what you would buy in the shops the size of a turkey these are kind of these are mutant um, birds yeah. essentially I mean it's been done through selective breeding we've not genetically engineered them that's probably to come mm. but um, but yeah I th so that is something so the chicken breasts that you get in the supermarket they are from birds that have been bred to be abnormally huge mm. grow muscles very quickly and they're killed very young to produce this um, which is actually quite tasteless bland flesh unfortunately mm. Uh, the meat. Mm. Uh, it's, it's great for producing lots of meat and producing lots of profit. So chicken, that's one thing. I mean, there's lots of other examples mm. out in nature. I know watermelons, that's really interesting. Watermelons, Ooh. they're great big things with lots of sort of juicy fruit inside. Yeah, love, yeah. love a good watermelon. Yeah. But when you look back over, over history, they've been bred to be that big and be that fruity. Um, they used to be a lot smaller and very pithy. Yeah, there's yeah. some old um, paintings, some still life paintings. I'm trying to think of when it's back, but you can, you can Google... Um, yeah. Um, old uh, watermelon and you can see these paintings of still life and there's a cut through of a watermelon you can oh see that goodness. most of it is pith and there's little bits of fruit in there um, so over time it's been bred selectively so like bred we've, we've picked the ones that have been the most fruity of course, we've cross-bred yeah, them until we've ended up with these super fruits yeah. aubergine it's called eggplant by Americans yes I know it's my favourite vegetable oh is it? Just throwing that oh, out excellent, there excellent <laughs> uh, do you know why it's called eggplant? no it used to look like an egg on a tree, little white, oh, yes, uh, little white I've thing. I've seen yeah. different varieties. Obviously, there are many different aubergines. Yeah, absolutely. So they have been bred to be the purpley things yeah. that we that we savor and enjoy now that you love. Yeah. Oh my goodness! When you first used the chicken um, example there, mm. I got this kind of awful goosebump shiver feeling going down my spine. I was just mm. oh, it really does make you think. In a way, of course, with evolution and adaptation, you know, things do change. Mm. But when you're describing things like this and how does it affect the quality of, of the food? Unfortunately, a lot of nutrients can be lost. Mm. You know, you go and grow a cucumber yourself in your greenhouse. It's small and piddly, 
But if you take, have you ever done this? I have. Yeah, I have. they taste. In my they taste like something, around, don't they? They taste different. They actually taste nice. Yes. And then you go and buy one from the supermarket. It's just a big watery thing. It doesn't taste yeah. like anything at all. And yeah. that is a reflection of the concentration of the nutrients and the antioxidants and all the goodies, the vitamins and stuff are in there. They're bred to be as big and as bulky and as possible and watery because the heavier it is, the more money they can make. And so you've probably got a similar amount of nutrients, but they just sort of spread out over a. Yeah. Over a larger fruit yeah. or vegetable. So, so not, yes, we, yeah. if you if you get for heirloom breeds, okay. then you can generally get something that is more nutritious. A lot of it depends on on the health of the soil mm. because that's where the nutrients are coming from. Um, and so, if you've uh, large commercially produced fruit and vegetables, is going to have probably soil that's very very drained of its nutrients. So yes, uh, unfortunately, the nutrient quality of our fruit and veg has deteriorated over time. And of course, not to worry people too much. So I still want to get people to get their vegetables and their oh, yeah, fruit yeah, just in. Just excuse me, <laughs> eat more. Just eat more of it. Yeah, you've got to. Yeah, more of it. I think that is the answer there. But like we said, we've come up with this from a means of feeding more people. There's mm. there's so many ins and outs, which is why education is so crucial here as well. And I think if we were to continue to do this mm. so continue to alter our food um for example i don't know by adding more nutrients to it do you mm. think that would be a beneficial option yeah absolutely and and i think that we can look at technology as being the the um the boo-boo thing mm. the, um, the, the 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 monster that's going to destroy uh frankenfoods it's going to make our life horrible <laughs> frankenfoods like Franken that's a great one that's a yeah. daily mail one yeah um <laughs> But technology has huge power to do amazing things. As I've said before, is that technology has saved us in the past, and I believe yeah. it will probably save us again in the future. Yeah. Um, so golden rice, that's um, one way of putting um, extra nutrients into rice, of genetically engineering rice so that it has more nutrients in. And so we can breed and genetically engineer um, crops. Um, so wow. carrots, for example, they never used to be orange, but they were bred to be orange because I uh, look up in the history books. The person who 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 I think was was he Danish or something? You can look it up. Oh, um, he he one. he wanted orange carrots, and so they bred orange carrots, oh, and I that's what has that the story. and the orange is the carotenoids in them, yeah, course, which weren't there the before, a, yeah. and that was just from a mutant carrot that happened to be orange, and so it was bred, and so it ended up with all the carrots being orange. Similarly, with bananas, did you know that all bananas are identical genetic clones of one another? No. Yeah, every banana that you go into the shop, they all taste the same yeah. because they all are genetic twins. They are all the same. They're all they're called a Cavendish banana, and so they're in, they 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 can only breed by uh, reproducing themselves. So, like uh, Star Wars and the clones, yeah, you've yeah. essentially just got exactly the same thing produced <laughs> over and over I'll again. I'll never look at a banana plantation in the same way. All the clones, <laughs> which is a shame because there's a hundred or more yeah. different banana varieties, and they all taste different. But we only have one. It's like only oh, having golden goodness. delicious apples in yes. in a shop. And in the future, we're going to have to incorporate more diversity because uh, this one Cavendish banana is at the moment under threat of extinction. I don't know. Did you know about this? No. Yeah, there's a, there's a fungus infection that is um, killing the Cavendish banana. It can't uh, and it can't they can't fight it with pesticides. Originally, the banana that they used before Cavendish about 100 odd years ago, that was attacked and killed by a strain of this fungus. Um, and so they switch to their second best, which is the Cavendish, which is what we have now, which is the great sort of cash crop. But unfortunately, it looks like the Cavendish, unless we do something, we genetically engineer our Cavendish um, 
um, bananas to be resistant to this, we're going to end up losing the Cavendish <gasps> banana for good. And Unless we'll that's up... nature's way of saying no yeah. more Cavendish bananas. Uh, but actually, I think it's yeah, I think it's a really good point. It's you know, yeah, it's nature's you... way of saying if you just make one genetically same thing and produce it to the nth degree, then you're going to come a cropper. And wow, so, you can't yes. override anything. <laughs> oh my goodness, there's so many different Bring elements. Bring back the diversity. Yeah, definitely. But you reminded me with the carrots because I remember mm. um, I've always seen, you know, white carrots, purple carrots, but yeah. the orange just seems to be the variety that everyone would associate being yeah, a carrot. Absolutely. So if we were to add nutrients, that's obviously going to help feed the population, like we said. But what about, because I know you've mentioned before, potentially being able to avoid food triggering allergies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I mean, that's a really hot topic at the moment is allergies. And I would Mm. urge caution on all the kind of the home allergy testing kits and all those things because it's one of those things that it's a real sort of hypochondriac sort of paradise allergies are. And it's very difficult to know for certain whether something does cause an allergy or not. We have no means of testing it completely. We just don't know. Well, the only way is to do an exclusion diet. Exactly. Just cut out everything and then slowly bring in one after another, which is a incredibly it's, difficult to do you need awful. a nutritionist to do it precisely you can do kind of skin tests but they're a, they're a kind of a really rough proxy yeah um so as there's a lot of research going into allergies in terms of what is it in the food that causes the out of proportion immune response your body is mm. treating it like it were an, in, an invading sort of virus or something and that's what is the allergy is your body's natural immune response yeah. what is it that your body is falsely recognizing mm. as a bad thing an antigen is what it's called Um, and if you can identify what that is it may be a bit of a protein or something that the body goes oh that looks like a virus to me i'm going to fight that if we can find out what that is and there's a lot of research going into this and people are finding out more and more the bits of the sugars and the proteins that set off the allergic response then we can potentially breed or or engineer our um our, our foods to not have that mm. allergic stimulating substance in allergic it. Allergic free nuts. Like, yeah, you absolutely. Like, yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah, it's yeah. like an immunotherapy the for food. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, Gosh, that's an absolutely astounding thing. And I th- you've also mentioned some other really cool things, actually, when I was reading a lot about you. Mm. Um, things like ice cream that doesn't melt. Yes, and also <laughs> chocolate that doesn't melt. Yes, the chocolate for me, yes, wow. Um, the powers that be are investing huge amounts of money in this. Uh, really? It's very difficult. Yes, they keep, they're, they're very shtum about all of this. But yeah. there is definitely chocolate that doesn't melt. Although, interestingly, if you have a flake chocolate... I mean, I don't know how you can get them, if you can get them all around the world, but flake chocolates, try melting a flake chocolate and you won't be able to do it. Put it in the microwave, put it on a pan, it won't melt. It'll burn before it before it melts. And I've done my own kind of tests and stuff yeah. to try to work out well, I can see why you in is. the kitchen now with all the flakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah um, and the, we, I don't know exactly why. I've had electron microscope images taken of the flake chocolate and compared it with normal chocolate. And I don't know exactly. I think it's something to do with the way that the sugar crystals are separated or the fat crystals are separated more to do with the tempering process mm. of the chocolate. But we will have more and more of this stuff. I think that was discovered by accident, but they want to find more robust chocolates and ice creams that can withstand um, extremes of temperatures. Because, for example, in in the hot tropics, it's very difficult to transport chocolate uh, without it melting. Yeah, no, and I was actually going to say something very silly then, like, oh, why wouldn't you want your chocolate to have that little melty bit? But, of course, it's transportation. It's getting it around the world. On a hot day, yeah. On a hot day. In, in the car, you don't want it to melt, no, do you? Well, like, that's, of course that's awful when you're back in the car and then you pick, and it's just turned to mush. Do you know what's awful, though, is that I would eat the mush. 
put it in the fridge, let it set again, and then have, yes. a, have a reformed chocolate bar. I d- yeah. That does not put me off, but I know it does my fiancé, <laughs> so he is not a fan of that. Um, okay, so we know that plant-based meat alternatives are mm. also gaining popularity, with one example being the Impossible Burger. Yes. What goes into this? How did we get it? Okay, well, I think we're looking increasingly for uh, meat alternatives for the future. Yeah. There's been UN reports all about this, and I think we all know that we've got to cut down our meat consumption and replace yeah. it with plant alternatives. Meat and dairy. Meat and dairy, mm-hmm. yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah, better not forget the dairy. Yeah, no, I know, yes. <laughs> bring that down. So, but this burger um, in particular... The is, Impossible Burger, yeah. this one is made in Silicon Valley by the clever computer programmers over there who decided that they wanted to re-engineer uh, the burger so that it was without meat. And they uh, whittled down the thing that gives meat its meaty flavour is a substance called haemoglobin mm. or myoglobin, mm. which is the, which is like the same substance as the protein that carries oxygen around in our blood. Yeah. It's got iron stuck inside yeah. it. Um, and so if you could get that somehow into a burger, then you could make it taste like meat. And that's what they reasoned and that's what they did and that's what the Impossible Burger is, is that they've essentially genetically engineered yeast to produce this natural substance that would occur in certain strains of soy. It's called leg haemoglobin. So legume haemoglobin. Oh, right, okay. So leg haemoglobin. So it has a a redness and it has a sort of a meaty quality to it. Uh, And you put it and they produce this stuff, I presume they make it in vats and then add it to the mix and put it in. Um, and so they, yes, and then they get it. So they add the in, and so you have a a thing that is containing lots of. Um, so you've got all sorts of. You've got soy protein in there. You've got oil. You've got potato protein to bulk it up. A bit of beetroot to give it a red color. Mm. Um, and then you add this uh, hemoglobin, this vegetable hemoglobin, uh, and it gives it that meaty quality. So it's very difficult to tell. And yeah, huge amounts of research going into how do we trick the so the future of food will be a lot about trying to make uh, flavours do fun and exciting things and, you know, teasing our taste buds in ways that I don't think we'd thought of before. So much food science. I mean, goodness me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. But do you really think that these foods are here to stay? Are they a bit of a novelty, or are they something that you think people get bored of? Because you know, they might as well wait to have the actual burger rather than have a replacement burger. I don't know what you think well, the attitudes are. Well, I, I see are. in the future we're going to have two, two ways, two streams are going to be happening in terms of non-meat um, alternatives. So mm. alternatives of protein sources that aren't meat, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how are we going to get that? And we're, it's either we're going to have the people that are going to make the highly processed products like the impossible burger mm. and there are other brands available as well mm. but essentially you look at the back of the packet and there's a frightening number of of things in there and you just think crikey was this ever food once and it's yeah. this whole thing about processed food in, inherently when we process food we do stuff to it that means uh, that often typically in a negative fashion so example for you you go to the shops and you want to buy some oats some porridge oats mm. you've got the standard whole oats and you've got the instant oats yeah you pick them up you look at the back the ingredients are exactly the same the nutritional information is exactly the same but the instant oats have been processed so that they cook very quickly and actually they cause a big glycemic spike your blood sugars go up very quickly yeah. just because of the processing of the oats they're exactly yeah. the same so anything that's kind of processed will inherently have a change on the ingredients and yeah. the way your body uh, responds to it and generally that's in a negative way. Oh well, yeah, even the bioavailability maybe, so perhaps we can, it's almost like taking supplements, you're supplementing food Absolutely. will I mean, that be as available? The iron, for example, in cereals yeah. is not absorbed in the, in the no. same way in which the iron that comes from uh, meat and vegetables no, of is. of course. Um, yeah. And so again, you know, those recommended daily allowances of the fortified um, um, cereals mm. have to be taken with a pinch of salt because of you actually probably need to have more than that in there because the bioavailability, the bioavailability the amount that can be absorbed into the body is yeah. reduced so much. Which is why I echo again, nutrition is complex and a science and it's not as straightforward as you'd think. It's not. It's very complicated. <laughs> it is extremely complicated. <laughs> it's very interesting though. It is fascinating. I think you've mentioned like the increase of processed, you know, and invented foods in the industry. Mm. Should we be worried though about some countries losing their traditions, those lovely cuisines? Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, I think they see the future going in two ways in terms of the meat alternatives. We're going to have the people who want the processed stuff, the meat analogues, it's called, the things that look like yeah. meat but aren't really meat. And that's going to be the processed stuff. We're also going to have the people who want things naturally because there's an increasing movement towards natural things that have not been processed. And for that, we're going to see um, other kind of ingredients. So we're going to have the insects, um, jellyfish. Um, did you know this jellyfish? I know. Yeah, jellyfish. They don't taste very nice, just taste slimy. But jellyfish, because um, temperatures are warming, jellyfish like warmer ocean temperatures, so they're becoming yeah. a pest in many areas. I, yeah. So if we can if we can capture them, they're a great source of protein. They're nearly all protein and water. Um, so yeah, jellyfish. Um, I can imagine it's like egg white, surely. It's like that kind of it's kind of slimy. Weird. It doesn't okay. taste them much at all. No. Um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. You've probably got to do a lot to it to make Ooh, it taste yeah, good. Oh, yeah, put it in a stew or something. Other things like spirulina, algae, they can you can grow them in big vats. Mm. I mm. mean, it's a natural product. It's a great yeah. source of protein. And you can you can grow all different kinds of algae to produce mm. oils, to produce proteins. But just proteins. to mention, those powders you buy on the shop shelves in the UK of spirulina are probably not the best sources of, especially it's not a source of B12, guys, because I hear that a lot as well. Okay. Um, but there will contain some protein, yeah. 
But in, ser- in terms of feeding the world yeah. and the nine plus billion people that we're going to be feeding, you, I think we're going to have to have these big bioreactors stuck out in the desert growing algae. Um, using you know recycling wastewater mm. to grow algae to grow a protein source that then can be um, skimmed off if you like and turned into food products that people can eat. I think insects is you know people know a lot about insects and lab-grown burgers and stuff like that. In, I think that's going to be a niche market in terms of the insects. Um, but I think that through this that we may be able to salvage some of the traditional sort of cuisines. Um, um, in countries, so like in countries where insects are eaten, well, yeah. um, so that we can actually maybe relish those things, yeah. and it can be something that's that's a bit cool because yeah. you know, I mean, sushi became cool a little while back, didn't it? And yeah. so you just kind <laughs> oh, of, I don't know, sushi insects, but I, I'm sure I could get there. <laughs> <laughs> I could definitely get there. What about 3D printing of food? Because you know, I feel like there were printers that were all the rage a few years ago, but. Yeah, yeah, I think you were saying like five years ago, 3D yeah. printers were the, were the thing. And now, that, now you see, I thought that. But then I was chatting with somebody the other day and they said, actually, 3D printers are still around and they're becoming increasingly important because they're like 3D printing uh, parts of aircraft and they're 3D printing houses and, you know, components of spaceships and stuff. The only way they can make them precisely is with 3D printing. Mm. Um, I think, though, that not yet it's been something that obviously that we don't have in our homes no. because... Um, Maybe in the future we will have one. Oh, no, my light bulb's gone. Let's just print another one sort of thing. (gasps) Maybe. Um, But, yeah, potentially (laughs) there are 3D food printers. Um, Any food, essentially, that you can put into a paste and can be cooked, you can put into these 3D printers. Obviously, there are different specifications to each one. Um, There's at least 12 different... 3D food printers on the market and essentially they will work like a 3D printer so they produce a three-dimensional object based out of the thing that you put into it so normally a 3D printer um, makes something out of like a plastic resin type thing but essentially 3D printing with food is doing the same thing but with ingredients that are edible you see a lot of these things done with sugar, so yeah. like a, a sugar that's set hard, yeah. and you get these very cool, uh, weird-shaped um, candy treat mm. things. Um, but what about the quality of the nutrition? I mean, if you're 3D printing, surely, I mean, do we know if that's then bioavailable once you've printed it again? There's all that. There's one company that, I mean, I can't remember their name, actually, but they were going to use uh, recycled food waste and then put them into these pouches, so like leftover vegetables and things like that, that you can puree up and you can put them into these pouches that then you can load up your 3D printer with these pouches and then use it to produce, like I don't know, like a 3D pizza or something. Yeah. Um, So that's the idea. Um, And whatever you can imagine, you could potentially make... Um, with a 3D printer. So gastronomically, it's a really exciting time. You get to Heston Blumenthal's um, um, restaurant in the future and you will have some weird shaped, I don't know, (laughs) potato that looks like a a rocket ship or something. Well, maybe it's the answer to my next question for you, which was about food waste. We know it's a big problem. And in fact, Mm. we've got the estimated figure that one third of all food that's produced goes to waste, which just makes me want to cry, really. Yeah, when you when you look at all the different parts in the in the food process, uh, yeah, I reckon it's about half is oh, lost. It, it, that's devastating. Yeah. I mean, do you think there's any innovation in that space? There, 
Oh, yeah, as I just mentioned, I mean, yeah. uh, uh, thankfully, supermarkets are doing this. We will sell you imperfect fruit and vegetable now. Yeah. Wonky. Wonky veg. Wonky veg. Yeah, yeah. I love my wonky veg. And I veg. think that's good. You know, finally, you let us have something that is like grown in our garden. And it is a bit, you know, you've got your two legged carrots or something. Yeah, yeah. But they're great. Different sizes, shapes. <laughs> yes. like, like we all come in as humans. Vegetables come in different sizes and shapes as well. <laughs> I think that, yes, there's huge potential there in terms of the food waste. We get stuck in this whole plastic thing as well because there's an increasing move towards getting rid of plastic, uh, which I think is a really important thing to do. But by getting rid of plastic, so that cling film type wrap on your cucumber means that the cucumber lasts two weeks rather Mm. than two or three days um, in the supermarket. So like the plastic wrap... um, um, is important for some fruit and veg for letting it for its longevity, mm, um, but it's yeah, huge potential in all those areas in which there is waste. There's yeah. going to be waste at the farm, waste in the transport, uh, waste on the shop, waste in our homes. All those, all those areas. There's yeah. huge potential for us to recycle that oh. food, to put it back in, to repurpose it in some fashion. It does reinforce though how many areas there are to consider. Like you said, the plastic. It is a big problem. But mm. how on earth can we get to a point in the population where we're able to to just cook fresh and not worry about having food in the fridge for so long. It's so overwhelming. And I think all the exciting innovations that we've discussed are, you know, they're very good. But what about climate change and the fact that processed foods and food production have an impact on the planet as well? Yeah, this is very true. This is very true. <laughs> I think, though, that it's worth bearing in mind that the future does not need to be a gloomy one. Yes. That actually we have huge potential to do really exciting things with food and that food is something that we should really delight in and enjoy with family and friends and loved ones. And actually, you know, food, the potential to create, you know, like bubblegum flavour didn't exist 100 years ago. And now bubblegum is kind of like bubblegum wasn't around. And now, you know, we have that (laughs) flavour. You know, and there will be new flavours that are discovered in the future and new textures and new sensations. So, you know, I mean, for example, when we eat something, we taste it, we feel that we're tasting on our tongue. But, you know, if you hold your nose, um, then you can't actually taste it very well. Uh, and that is because, obviously, um, I've got an apple here. I'll eat it. Nice. I love a sound effect of an apple. Mm. So I taste the <laughs> apple yeah. on my tongue. And I swear to you, it tastes like it's coming on my tongue. But actually, all those apple flavours are coming from the nose. And your brain reconstructs that. Yeah. So that I swallow the apple now. There you go. <laughs> I'll let you swallow your apple. Your brain reconstructs it to create this hallucination that those smells are coming from your tongue and that is taste um, or that is flavour rather and so by harnessing these things by understanding more and more we'll be able to create lots of wonderful new flavour sensations. That was brilliant. I wondered why you bought the apple and I was thinking that's going to be difficult to eat on a podcast. (laughs) That is such a good example. And it must tap into what I think a lot of people are talking about in um, the wellness industry in the UK of mindful eating in the sense Mm. that people aren't really focusing on how they even eat food anymore. So surely that then affects the experience of enjoying the food and the digestion as well. If you're yeah, too busy I, working away. I think we should bring back, make yeah. most of every opportunity to. Because yeah. food and meals are something that we come around together. There mm. is a, there's a celebration. There is something to be discussed. You have it over food. It's always around yeah. food, food and drink. Talking of a around... topic to be discussed here, um, mm. the last thing that's the doom and gloom, but not really quite doom and gloom. Well, it depends how you listeners may feel about it. I also want to touch on Brexit. Mm. Um, what impact joyful. do we anticipate of this joyful experience? <laughs> Well, being in non-partisan, no political judgments made. No. The 
impartial um, assessments state that if if we go through a no-deal outcome of Brexit, so the UK leaves without some kind of trade arrangement in place, Mm -hmm. food imports will be more expensive. It'll be more difficult for us to have the variety of foods that we Mm -hmm. currently enjoy Mm -hmm. and the food industry will find it harder. Uh, Food will become more expensive. I mean, that all goes without saying. But I would say that um, the company that owns Cadbury's, the great Mondelez, Mendelez? Something like that. Yeah, Yeah, they've they've decided they're investing in the UK for the long term. So they believe that Brexit or no Brexit that is worth investing. And so the food industry looks pretty good. For okay. the future in the UK. Great. So so fret not. Yes. Although you still might want to keep your Brexit cupboard yeah. of your toilet rolls <laughs> and um, your olive oil and stuff like that for the day after Brexit oh, when it dear. all becomes very expensive. But thank goodness for Cadbury's, eh? Yeah. Thank goodness for Cadbury's. Well, we now have some questions from um, followers now for you, Stuart. So Claudia Brilliant. has asked, do you think we'll all be vegan in the future? Uh, Claudia, no, we won't all be vegan. Um, but that's fine. Um, we will increasingly become more plant-based, mm-hmm. most definitely. And I think I've already said that already. We're, we're going to be moving that way. And I, but I don't think that vegan is necessarily the solution. I think that it's an important part of nutrition. There are things that you can get in meat and fish that you cannot get as easily with a vegan diet. So I think that um, there will be lots of more vegetarianism. Um, in terms of veganism, we're not all going to be vegan. No, but... Um, I think it's a I think it's a, a great thing to do. You know, there's a part of me that actually thinks I actually wouldn't really want to be vegan. Yeah, yeah. But I just think my wife wouldn't let me. And it's too much of a sort of a lifestyle change. I'm a bit of a coward, yeah. if I'm honest. No, but you know what? It's very interesting because we have to take ethics out of it as well and just address this with, you know, the facts. And you're right. For some people as well, nutritionally speaking, it won't be possible for them to get the nutrition they need. Mm. Um, and Esme has said, this is a really interesting one, will the way they eat in space with powders work for us? Will they eat in space with powders work for us? Possibly. Possibly. I mean, one of the things they're doing in space is 3D printing food. They're trying that so that you can actually create something that is more um, Earth-like in space. Mm. So who knows? Maybe it could work the other way. I don't know. Would you want a pouch? I don't know. Huge respect for any astronaut. There's that that Solent. Have you heard of that? The um, Solent. It's a meal in a in a bottle essentially again it's another silicon valley invention by a guy really sad he said that he didn't have time to eat and mm. so he decided that he wanted to make it as simple as possible and he, he concocted a drink called solent um which i think is based on some sci-fi novel some dystopian future where there is some where people don't eat anymore they just drink this thing and you can buy it you can buy it in cartons and pots and you can make it up yourself out of powder all your nutritional needs in a day in a in a oh, bottle. There is a similar product to that on the shop shelves over here at the moment. I think it was developed for a NASA program or something like okay. that, and it's okay. come over. But people are using it as meal replacements now instead, which isn't the intended use of the product. But yeah. very interesting. I thought you were going to say then something like a Willy Wonka type. You know, you could drink a roast dinner in a in a bottle. <laughs> well, that be. I mean, I can imagine that in the future that we'll have all sorts of. Um, you know, like I was saying, in terms of technology and harnessing yeah. um, the the, the mouth sensations and the things that go on yeah. in our mouth and and the flavors and the aromas and to be released in, in new and different ways and create lots of new experiences but i mean do we want it the, the thing about space food is that it's just a case of getting something up there to nourish the guys and the yeah. girls who are floating around in space yeah and actually i don't think there's much joy in that so i kind of hope that we don't get too much space food down here i like oh. i like my fresh fruit <laughs> and veg give me a brussels sprout please thank you very much touch wood i'll go for an aubergine um. <laughs> <laughs> get your moussaka yeah 
Alan has said, is there a danger that over-engineering foods will mean they lose the original nutrition they started with? Which uh, we kind of touched on. Was that Andrew? Alan. Alan. Alan, yes, there is. We kind of, um, if you listen back, yeah, that's, yeah, there is a mm. danger. There's, it can go both ways. You can, uh, when you say engineering, I'm assuming you're meaning genetic engineering. I a think lot you of, um, a lot of um, the development that we do in food products is done through natural selection and crossbreeding. So you pick the, um, the specimens that have the thing that you want in it. Maybe it's particularly juicy variety, and then you crossbreed it, and then over many generations. Uh, excuse me. You end up with um, your ideal fruit and vegetable, but you can you can selectively breed for whatever you want. You can selectively breed for the most nutrients. Mm-hmm. So in future, in, in theory, there's nothing stopping us. It just happens that we've kind of selectively bred for big bulk um, yeah. produce. Yeah. So yes, there is a danger of that, but okay. there is huge potential as well to do good things. Well, what a wonderful answer for Alan then. Um, that's answered a lot. Amelia has said, and this is the final question. Okay. I've been told I have a coffee and bread sensitivity by an online DNA nutrition company. Should I take this seriously? My red flag yeah. is, 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 my siren is going. Of, Me too. Oh my gosh. My frustration. No, 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 no. Take it with a pinch of salt. Go see a doctor. Yeah. Um, those, I mean, what they do in those, in those genetic testing is they're looking for what are called SNPs, which are little bits of the DNA called single nucleotide repeats, are called SNPs. Um, um, yep, um, I might have got that, that not quite right. SNPs. SNPs, SNPs I know yeah. what you mean, yeah. So, and they're trying to match those up with um, people who have known conditions. And so sometimes they'll get it right, but really it's only a sort of a ballpark guess. Mm. It's it's a, a guess. So go see a doctor yeah. and don't necessarily take it as gospel. Thank you very much. I mean, the amount of times in clinic people turn up with this big sheet of things that they've been told by test kits that they can't eat. And yeah, actually absolutely. there is no grounding or reason why they can't. It's very, very interesting. But that moves me on to my favourite part of the podcast, which is mm. our fact or fiction. Are you ready? Yes. I have no smartphone to help me out. No, you don't. So on the spot. I'll do my best. (laughs) So fact or fiction to the following questions. Yes. Not everyone reacts to sugar in the same way. That is true. Any food can be 3D printed. Not true. And if if you can make it into a paste, you can 3D print it. And yes, we do all react to foods. Yes, Definitely, yes. Oh, sorry, I'm giving explanations. You don't want explanations. You just want true or false. This happens with every academic we have. Um, (laughs) Every meat has a nutritionally balanced plant-based substitute. No. We we wish it was. We will get there eventually, but no. Love it. All food will be organic in the future. (laughs) No, it won't be because you cannot mass-produce organic fruit and vegetables in the proportions that you need to feed the world, unfortunately. No, as much as we would like it to be. Goodness. There are taste sensations yet to be invented. Most definitely. And I'm looking forward to them. Yeah, me too. Um, Homegrown food is more nutritious than shop-bought. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, it depends on the health of the soil mm-hmm. um, and also as well as the variety that you're growing and the conditions you grow it in. 100%. So not necessarily. No. It tastes in, better though, probably. Yeah. So do it for taste. And <laughs> I for agree. Fun. A it's tomato great. at home is way better. <laughs> it puts you in touch with, with what you're eating a lot more as well rather than getting get it out of a piece of plastic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're we should, lucky we enough do it. to have a garden. I love, I love cucumbers growing in our greenhouse. You should have bought some cucumbers should in have for done. us. Yeah, yeah. Okay, insects are the future of food. In part, uh, they will play a part. I think that we will see 
us squeamish Westerners, uh, we probably won't go for bugs very much. But when it's ground up into a flour and added to things for extra protein, we will call it uh, enhanced protein enhanced foods. We will go, oh, yeah, that sounds really good. That's really <laughs> naturally protein enhanced food. We'll go for it. Not realising <laughs> that it's actually insect power that's been put into it. So, yes, it will have a role. That's so funny. Um, but we do not have enough research to fully trust nutrigenetics companies yet. Correct. Absolutely. Top of the class. Obesity is only a problem for developed countries. So not true. I mean, Chile, for example, in Chile, they have banned uh, cartoon characters on cereal boxes because three quarters of the population in Chile are overweight or obese. It's become such a bad situation. They've had to put black labels, warning labels on like junk, on junk food, on sort of processed food of like high fat, high sugar, high salt in an attempt to sort of stem this obesity and overweight problem. Oh, so so absolutely not. And unfortunately, as you're saying about losing the traditional diets of, of, of companies, it's, it's happening because... Yeah. Um, Yes, um, the Western world is invading everywhere and people want yeah. the uh, burgers and all this stuff that actually is completely unsustainable. Oh, goodness, we could and do a whole other podcast on that. Do, we We've could do, we could We've got one alas. more question. Yes, go on. The future is a trade-off between global food production or state of the environment. Wow. <laughs> do I get a, a thesis <laughs> answer out of this one? Um, so just ask that again. Okay. The future is a trade-off between global food production or state of the environment. Is it a trade-off? I don't I don't think it's a zero-sum zero, zero game, no. I think yeah. that both are targets. Um, we can look after the environment and we can feed the planet. Oh. I'm convinced of that. Yay. Well, I really tested you there. Excellent quickfire round. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Did I pass? We throw tough questions Cute. in here. So that nearly <laughs> wraps up this episode. But as with every guest today, we finish with a food for thought. So mine today would be that we've touched on some really thought-provoking and exciting concepts in terms of the future of food. And I'm so excited and a little bit scared um, to see these come to fruition, particularly ones that benefit the health, but also perhaps the planet too. So I'm particularly keen to see what developments will take place in the world of nutrigenetics and our understanding of how each and every one of us will respond differently to certain foods, which Stuart and I discussed earlier on in the podcast. It's completely fascinating how the human body works and after all my philosophy is always that we are completely unique as human beings and I should add that our vegetables should be unique too which would be something we should work towards. Amen to that. Exactly. But in the meantime, though, please remember that companies marketing DNA testing products still require further research to become the norm and that qualified nutrition advice should only ever be taken from a registered nutritionist or a dietitian. Now, Stuart, if you could leave us with a food for thought or one thing that you think would really benefit our listeners, what would that be? I would say that food should be something to be celebrated and enjoyed and let it bring us together and make us healthier and happier. Oh, that was so beautiful. (laughs) That was wonderful. Stuart, I cannot thank you enough for sharing your wisdom. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll absolutely love what's coming next week. So make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach those higher highs in the charts and to help more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hold up. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 